It's the show Agent Orange slash Adolf Twitler would love to shut down. So here's the story, folks. I am the least black person that you've ever seen in your entire life. In fact, we did very well relative to racist people. It's the no bullshit zone. It's called fake news. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. I know who you are. Just wait. On the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back. It's time for our weekend review. And boy, do we have news for you. Coming up, we'll talk a little bit about how the GOP is really tired of Trump trying to shut down the government. Uh, We've got all kinds of deals, misdeals, allegations, ruminations, and so much more coming up in today's show. And we can't forget our favorite word. indictments and allegations joining me on this show as he does every single time this week is our correspondent from the windy city of chicago please welcome knowledge information central it's chris base you have overcome for i am here how you doing my friend so far so good but let's just go ahead and say that if you are watching the countdown to destruction timer this week it was kind of reported that it was two minutes to midnight and and i kind of have a feeling that donald trump and and the longest government shutdown in history had something to do with that what about you oh absolutely you know i don't believe in coincidences you know the way the world is right now especially the way it is you know in our beloved country uh as uh, Shakespeare once said in one of his plays, uh, something wicked this way comes. It's probably already here. Oh, yeah. Boy, what is it? Boil, boil, boil and bubble. Here comes more boil toilet trouble. trouble. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's that's just the new rhyme of the day, because as long as we're talking about Donald Trump news this week, can can we just agree that the shutdown did absolutely no favors for the GOP in the political polls. As a matter of fact, Chris, should it surprise you that three-quarters of America, uh, yeah, yeah, two-thirds of America, basically, two-thirds, three-quarters, around in that range, kind of blames the GOP for this shutdown? It shouldn't be a surprise, and it's a sad commentary because, as you know, the GOP tried to spin it to say it's the Democrats' fault, that we are here on that whole wretched shutdown. But when people, again, are receiving checks with zeros on it, which is a complete added uh, insult to injury, when you have people, again, trying to pay rent, mortgages, the whole nine, we get into more of that, of course, in the program. But um, you have to lay blame with somewhere. And you can't spin what the president said back in December of last year. I will take the mantle for the shutdown. So you have to blame him and the party. Yeah, it's, I mean, because when we're talking about blame, we have to talk about, like, God, multiple billions of dollars that it costs the GDP in the short term and the permanent three to five billion dollars calculated permanent damage for years to come to the United States reputation that was caused by this shutdown. And when we talk about not dollar signs, but political collateral, or should I say political mm, uh, accountability, the GOP took a huge hit when Trump did the uh, cross-arm stubborn thing towards Nancy Pelosi, didn't they? Of course. There has to be people within the party of the GOP that do not like this president, that does not like the way 
he goes about things, his childlike behavior, uh, his lack of experience shows every day. But for party's sake, you just can't come out and say, I go against the president. That's going against the throne. You can't do that. But it has to be obviously infighting because obviously nobody gets along with any type of organization or positioning where everybody's grouped together. You have some dislikes. And there's probably more dislikes than the likes. But because that's behind closed doors, we're not privy to it. But I think in time, what you see, Shaggy, and, um, as the timeline continues, you'll see more GOPs start to distance themselves from the president because it's always strength in numbers. See, three or four is not going to do it. It's going to take more than that. And I think once they realize that <laughs> we don't have to uh, show our allegiances anymore, we ain't go down the ship with this dude. We're going to make sure that we get the distance and time away from him because we have to save the party. Now, the Trump whisperer, as he is known, Lindsey Graham, basically said that, you know, this deal is 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 kind of a way of giving everybody options. But when we talk about the deal that was put forward by the GOP, essentially all it was doing was dangling yet another short-term carrot in front of the Democrats and the Democrats not taking the bait. Would you agree? Well, of course, yes. Again, and just you know, repeating ourselves because when we do this, it's a standing over again. Right, it's a little, you know, juicy uh, nuggets in between. Eight hundred thousand people involved in government were not getting paid, and we're looking at once again three hundred eighty thousand furloughed. Again, when people are used as political footballs, in this situation, completely wrong, and you need a long-term deal, not a short-term deal. A partial shutdown is not solving the problem. All it's doing is it's, you're just prolonging the inevitable of people, again, not being paid. What's wrong with trying to get, I understand about going back and forth and getting some deal between both parties and something having been uh, from a bipartisan position, but I would think for the betterment of the citizens of this country, get something long-term and not just, okay, We'll have a we'll 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 we'll, uh, we'll we won't have a shutdown for three weeks and then they get back into it and we don't have a deal. That's to me that's uh, playing with the with the people who are not getting paid. Yeah, because look, Eric Trump jumped on Fox News, of course, and basically said things like, you know, there's other ways to fund this, and right now the Emergency Act, the 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 National Emergency Act that the president can do is looking like a pretty good option with the way things are going in Congress. But it belittles the fact when Eric Trump goes to Fox News with that. It belittles the fact that Right now, congressional, Republican, House, and Senate is looking at the president like, please don't do this again because there's a good chance you're going to cost us big in the 2018 election. They have to understand what's at hand here. And what I mean by that is people are suffering. That should be enough. If you care about the American people so much, Okay, if you must go by party lines, okay, let's go with the GOP. The reason why people are panicking on the GOP side is because their constituents and voters had come forward, their state representatives, local representatives, and said, look, we need a solution. Not now, but right now. And I don't mean right conservative. I mean the traditional R-I-G-I-T, R-I-G-H-T, you know how to spell it, right, when it comes to the fact that people need to get paid. Now, once again, maintenance 
plain and and simple as I can. When you take that situation as a representative of people, you did not vote for this. We didn't see this coming. So when people, again, are hemorrhaging, starving, and need something done right now, again, we don't need banning solutions. We need to go in there, for example, if you get stabbed in the back and take the knife all the way out, you need it to be cleansed, you need medical attention to make sure that the wound is healed. You don't need someone to just say, take the knife out and not give the attention it deserves. That's what's happening right now. The knife is being partially taken out, but then might be put back in in three more weeks. Yeah, because, I mean, as long as we're talking about knives in the back this week, look, not only is Donald Trump kind of throwing a knife in the back of his own GOP, but... If you've been following anything on Twitter or any of his public statements, you'll know that Trump thinks that right now he is actually, and this is funny, more intelligent than the intelligence community of the United States. Chris, in a brief little rundown, what the hell is happening lately with Donald Trump saying that the intelligence community needs to go, quote unquote, back to school? Director of the National Intelligence, Dan Coates, and CIA Director Gina Haspel went to the Congress and had a 42-page position about when it comes to Iran, when it comes to North Korea, and when it comes to the enemies of this country, how we are to them. And the president gets on Twitter like he always does. And this situation pretty much bashes Dan Coates for everything that he said, pretty much saying that, you know, you're saying your position is wrong. And he's siding with outside sources. Well, let's call it for what it is. Uh, citing sources from Fox News Channel instead of his own intelligence community. Now, this is the same president who can go to scholars, professors who have degrees and have intelligence in this matter if he wants outside sources outside the government. He can't even do that. He has to go to Fox. He has to go to the, as you said before about Lizzie Graham being the uh, Trump whisperer, it got to throw in Sean Hannity, it got to throw in Man Coulter, <clears throat> and Coulter, it also got to throw in uh, 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 Rush Limbaugh. So that's the holy trinity for him is concerned. As long as he listens to them, that's where he gets his intel. That's his intel. Not the CIA, not the FBI, the intel, the three people I mentioned for Fox News Channel. But this is the thing about Donald Trump's intel. This week, more and more stories came out that... Not only from Trump's translator saying that conversations with Vladimir Putin definitely indeed went further than Trump has disclosed to the United States public, but that these meetings also were more frequent and more in-depth than previously has been known. So when we're talking about Donald Trump and his credibility as far as how it relates to the current affair of is Russia or is not Russia involved in electioneering, it would seem that he is a little too close to the bad guys to be taken as a credible source. Why is it, Chris, that his base still continues to follow him? In any base of people that follow, and this is the situation of politician, people can be led blindly. You can just have that adoration and, dare I say, love for that person to the point where anything that they do will never be questioned. So they just, they do their merry thing, going about their merry business, and everything won't be questioned. But people outside of the base will sit back and say, now, wait a minute, I don't know about that. Case in point, 
North Korea, Kim Jong-un, when you use terminology, once again, listen to the, the words he uses. Quote, unquote, he fell in love with Kim Jong-un. Who says that? I mean, it, that, that alone would give me <laughs> more than a cause for alarm. The fact that going back to Helsinki, when he's right there next to the podium of Vladimir Putin and going with the intel, not of his own United States of America, of once again, CIA, FBI, but the intel of Putin. He agrees with that. That, for a lot of people, should have been, now, wait a minute, Mr. President, for all due respect, and dot, dot, dot. See, it's like the old folks would tell me, you know, growing up, people believe fat meat is greasy. It is what it is. You, you can't spin it. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, you have to look at it for what it is. The man, obviously, is leaning towards the enemies of this country. When you admire people like, a, again, a, a Vladimir Putin or a Kim Jong-un and giving them compliments but not trying to be a distant to protect your country, it does give you an opportunity to say, if you be an individual, obviously, I don't know about that. Something's not right about that. Yeah, because this is the thing that kind of gets me about this latest round of reports of Donald Trump and his bucking against the intelligence community. Not only is he trying to contradict the dangers and scope of Russia uh, information, disinformation campaigns in, in political processes, not only is he doing that, he's overestimating the importance of countries like North Korea and underestimating or conflating or inventing other countries a la Iraq and their role in kind of attacking in a cyber way the United States. In other words, Chris, this isn't this isn't just one little thing. Donald Trump and and, and his intel community are diametrically opposed in almost every single assessment. Now, how brave do you have to be as either the president or the intelligence community? Well, let's just compare the two. How brave do you have to be with sticking to your version of things because you know it's the truth? You're not brave. You're stupid. Because the points that Trump—okay, my question would be the following— if you do not agree with your intelligence community, give some bullet point reasons of why. And I may and I may uh, give it to you or not. I, I could, you know, it wants to get if they're thought out, if they're intelligent. <clears throat> uh, I'm sorry, that two don't go to with it with the president. But if they're intelligently thought out, you make your points. I would give I would give him that. But he can't do it because everything he says is just to go against for going against sake. Mm. And this is the thing that really gets me about this story is that Donald Trump has, has kind of tried to play this whole I understand the world better than anybody else uh, hero to his base. And by and large, he's tried to kind of expand that image to the rest of the world, of course, at Davos and the G20 and stuff, elbowing his way to the front of the crowds, making sure that right. USA was going to be right up front with everybody else. But mm -hmm. in the long run, when you have intelligence branch after intelligence branch come out and contradict not only things that you've said publicly, but things that you are trying to align national policy towards, 
At this point, if you're in the intelligence community, are you wondering how long you're going to be employed? That and how much of an allegiance do I have to my president? All these questions have to come into play. I would feel that way. Regardless of my um, political affiliations, whether Democrat or Republican, if my job is work for the president, no matter uh, what they are affiliation-wise, and everything I say to him at this point is shot down just off the bat, okay, then why am I here? I'm not saying we can't disagree, but again, I would say, all right, Mr. President, all due respect, what, why is the reason you disagree with these points? And I, and I don't get anything. I would say, okay, you know what? This has the makings of something that, that we don't know something about. Again, people want to use their conspiracy theories hat. Maybe it's the way that Trump is doing this to keep intel fresh going into Russia and his ties with Russia, his ties going back to uh, Russians, for example, buying a property in Miami, Florida. There was uh, accountability. There were some stories linking him to money laundering between Trump and Russians. So, but that type of history that he has with them, body believe it or not, you would think that the opportunity is there to kind of like, okay, I'm not affiliated with Russia. But when you show these arm-in-arm linking, and again, (laughs) no matter what your intel says, you disagree with them but don't have any fine points to argue them, everything is up for grabs. The country, he put the country literally up for grabs. Well, this is the thing that, that gets me, because when you talk about the country up for grabs, we're not just talking about the country within the country. We're talking about the country within the whole world diplomatic kind of scale of who's cool and who's not cool. Donald mm-hmm. Trump, in his dangerous alignment towards relying on the Russian narrative versus the findings of four different branches of the United States intelligence community, uh, Donald Trump, by doing that, has, has weakened the United States diplomatically significantly. So here's the thing. I mean, when, when we talk about this latest, okay, just this latest mm-hmm. round where the president is saying, my intelligence community needs to go back to school, what kind of worldwide diplomatic impact could that have on us in the long run? The other countries continue to go behind closed doors and laugh at us. I mean, we are not even a superpower. We're Clark Kent. We don't have the cape anymore. We don't have the S on our chest. We're Clark Kent. We're mild matter. And when we get to that point, I'm not saying that Clark Kent wasn't cool, but the fact that we can't fight back, we just we, all the chinks and kinks are exposed in the armor, we have nothing at this point. Again, led by a man who obviously does not know what he's doing. Yeah, because this is the thing. Donald Trump has taken everything that the intelligence community has found as a personal attack against him. And, and, and this is the thing that we always have to consider, Chris. Donald Trump mm-hmm. isn't just a name. Donald Trump is a brand. Am I, am I wrong here? You are correct. Yes, absolutely. So it, it would seem that he would have a vested interest in, quote-unquote, not tarnishing the brand of Donald Trump. And, and that seems to be his private sector kind of mentality mm-hmm. being used in a political field very, very, one, let's just be honest, ineffectively, but two, very dangerous in what it could mean for us diplomatically. 
have, have is there any sort of reason that people should have right now, Chris, to kind of panic over the escalations between Donald Trump and his intelligence? You should have panic. You should always ask questions. And again, depending on your political affiliation or not, you will have to ask questions because we're not seeing anything like this before in our lifetimes. This is unprecedented and it's unheard of. And even going back to President Richard Nixon, you can make a comparison between the two men. Donald Trump goes beyond what Nixon was doing at this stage in the game because, again, I talk to people who were covering the media back when uh, Nixon was you know, alive. Not You've never in the news, I understand it's a different era, mind you, every day the president is in the news about something negative. Every day. Him being linked to again, it could be Manafort, it could be Michael Cohen, it could be originally with Roger Stone, it could be once with the Mueller investigations, everything. It doesn't look good. He could call it fake news or which and all he wants to. He knows the end is nigh. He knows that. So, again, for the smoke screens of what I believe with the um, shutdown of the government and all this wall stuff, he's trying to prevent the inevitable. He's trying to create a plausible diversion. And that's what he does quite effectively. People do buy into it. But we will know soon, probably more than later, about Robert Mueller's investigation. Probably the reason why it's taking so long to a degree, because there's probably so many layers and layers and layers of information about Trump and his cronies. It takes a lot to go. You just can't do with a fine tooth comb. You need an axe, you need a pick, you need a shovel. It's going to take a while. Yeah, and the funny thing is, it's like if you're really looking for some sort of uh, explanation of the character of Trump. Now, one guy that was around at the beginning of Trump's rise to power, he is the uh, one of the, I guess you could say, auteurs of BrettBart.com. Not really the, the founder of it. The founder died. Right. Bannon took it over. But when, when we talk about people that should be arm in arm, like chummy, el chummy, you know, with Donald mm-hmm. Trump, Steve Bannon would be it. But, Chris, this week, Steve Bannon basically came out and said what about his time in the White House? Yeah, Steve Bannon claims that he hated every minute of it, every minuet, and said that he was doing God's work. Now, this is why I tell you this story. When I read that, the first thing that came to my mind was, uh, which God are you serving? Because it could be, you know, it necessarily be the heavenly God that people are familiar with. It could be, oh, I don't know, a Satan-type Satan. God. Yeah, Shiva, or... goddess of destruction. Exactly right. I mean, you know, he wasn't clear about what God he he serves. So that really tickled me. I don't really laugh out loud that much, but I, I had a nice chuckle off of that. The thing about it is that, for me, I believe Steve Bannon obviously is lying about this. I believe he reveled and enjoyed every minute of his power in the time in the White House. Again, he was, for what it was worth, the original Trump whisperer. He was the guy. This before Handy and the rest of them, he was the original. So with that type of power, are you hate every minute of being power? Oh, I don't think so. And again, you have someone like Steve Bannon who, again, He's trying to push a documentary. In the story I sent you, he's pushing a documentary. He needs everybody, not just people who are conservative. But he needs everybody because the dollar amount, once again, has no uh, political affiliation to go see this documentary about him and everything else. So he got to throw in some, 
you got to a little bait to say like, okay, I'll say that I hate every minute of knowing full well you did, you enjoy and reveled in it. And look, he got to a point with no offense, but the dude even shave. Like he's little guy out of bed, didn't shave, didn't wash, put on a wrinkle suit, and went right to work. That's how comfortable he was. Oh, yeah. No, seriously. He looked like somebody that just had a bad divorce and maybe a child custody case pending. Oh, and he woke up in the park <laughs> bench that day. I mean, Steve, exactly. Steve Bannon's pers- personal uh, look aside, because, you know, Roger Stone would clock him at a two in a scale of one to ten in the fashion police. But what do we know about Stone? <laughs> When it when it comes to Bannon, though, I, I, I think you're right about this kind of a false line in the water, this bait and chum that he's throwing out, saying, I hated working for Trump. Because here's the thing. Even after their infamous split, Steve Bannon was still singing the praises of Trump, wasn't he, Chris? Of course. And who's to say the two men still don't communicate? We're just not privy to it. We don't know. So you said earlier in the conversation about how— the GOP and Trump are being blamed for the recent shutdown. Steve Bannon, you may not agree with him, but he's a very smart dude, very smart man. The temperature of the country, because now we just said it's very popular, probably a little bit more, to not like Trump, to dislike Trump. So you got to play to that type of people. So again, I think it's very methodical of him to come forward and say that lie about he hated every minute of it when he's trying to sell wolf tickets to see his documentary. Yeah, and I mean, definitely, it seems like if anything comes out about Bannon hating it, it's hypocritical at best. Oh, pretty much so. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Chris, we got to take a break, but when we come back, we've got a very serious story to talk about because here's the deal. If you think that the government shutdown was bad just because how it impacted your air traffic travel, how it impacted your ability to get things from your farm, how it impacted your abilities to get, well, anything, wait until we tell you how much it impacted the people that actually lost their income And what would happen if you lost a paycheck, too? We'll talk about the state of finances, personal, in the United States. Up next, The Shaggy Jenkins Show. I'm Scientific American podcast editor Steve Mursky, and here's a short piece from the January 2019 issue of the magazine in the section called Advances, Dispatches from the Frontiers of Science, Technology, and Medicine. The article is titled Quick Hits, and it's a rundown of some science and technology stories from around the globe, compiled by editorial contributor Emiliano rodriguez Mega From Italy. Europe's most relentless volcano, Mount Etna, is slowly sliding into the sea under its own weight. If part of it collapses suddenly, researchers say it could trigger mega-tsunamis in the Mediterranean. From Indonesia, the construction of a hydroelectric dam and power plant in North Sumatra's Batang Toro forest 
caused orangutans from an endangered, newly described species to flee the project site. The government has sent guards to monitor the apes, which have built their nests on local plantations. From the Netherlands, a court of appeals in The Hague has ruled that the Dutch government needs to take action to help stop climate change. The ruling states that the country must reduce greenhouse gas emissions to at least 25% below 1990 levels by 2020. From Kazakhstan, an astronaut and a cosmonaut escaped a Russian spacecraft that experienced a launch failure shortly after takeoff. Nick Haig and Alexei Ovchinin landed safely after their capsule made an emergency separation from the rocket. From Papua New Guinea, health authorities detected the first polio outbreak in Papua in 18 years. The three cases were identified in Morobi province, where sanitation is limited and vaccine coverage is low. And from Bulgaria, the world's oldest intact shipwreck was discovered at the bottom of the Black Sea off the coast. Radiocarbon analysis suggests the wood vessel dates back to 400 B.C. That was Quick Hits by Emiliano Rodriguez Mega. This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network, live from, well, the very wet and very cold, and let's just be honest, Still highly affected by climate change, 50th state of Hawaii and the Valley Isle. Look, if you've never seen or heard this show before, first off, my apologies. You should probably check us out at our website, shakyjenkins.com, or wherever fine social media is served at Shaggy Live. This guy, you can catch him on his kind of, well, rambunctious tour of the world of online media. He is information central for this show. The guy who is so trusted and so credible, only he and he alone can do the weekend review of news. Please welcome from the windy city of Chicago and hopefully still surviving despite the Arctic blast, Chris Bass. Welcome back. Oh, man, thank you, Shaggy. Yeah, you're talking about uh, 19 below zero, which feels like 55 degrees below zero outside. So it's uh, we're nice and toasting here inside the... Uh, the base household. Oh, yeah, because like Ron Pertee was trying to have this competition with you uh, over the course of this week. He goes, hey, next time you talk to Chris, tell him yeah. Racine, Wisconsin, negative 50. Gotcha. So, <laughs> uh, okay. Okay, Ron. Okay, fine. You can have it. <laughs> it's no big deal. You can, right? you can have all the cold you want. Take it. Can, can Take I just say, feet. yeah, can I just say as the guy from Hawaii, both of y'all can take it, okay? Both of yes, y'all. Yes, uh, yes. Both, both of y'all, right? Well, it's time, as long as we're talking about temperatures, that we bring up the very cold truth for a lot of Americans here in the United States. Now, a lot of times when we talk personal finances, a lot of people like to talk about personal home credit debt, how many household credit cards, and the amount of credit debt that each house is maintaining. And for the, the most part, that's an okay economic barometer. But here's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. A lot, uh, two-thirds of Americans, don't have $1,000 or even $500 of emergency cash in their savings currently. And Chris, this latest news about how many people are 
one missed paycheck away from poverty. What is that percent, and what does it mean to us? We're looking at four out of ten considered without enough money to be, you know, saved or even for a sudden disruption of income. And this was uh, from the Economic Advocacy Group. Prosperity Now has this about uh, U.S. households. Once again, four out of ten. So that is low, but it can increase the rate we're going. The cost of living is very high. It's kind of hard for the average person or average family, middle class, to save because of cost of living. You talk about, for example, if you're a person who rents an apartment, you got to pay for rent, obviously. You got to pay for light. You got to pay for gas. You have to obviously pay for if you have a family. Uh, uh, just basic necessities of food and clothing and things like that. So when you look at the budget, see, some people just spend and don't itemize what they're spending. If you was to itemize what you were spending and look at it verbatim, oh, man, I, hey, I got to slow down a little bit. Because something we just... We, we, we think we have disposable income and we don't. That's why budgets were created. We have a certain budget depending on who you are. When people said over the years, I'm living check to check, that was not something just a colloquialism. That's the truth. People literally are, literally are living paycheck to paycheck. Case in point, going back to this whole unfortunate situation with the shutdown. When those checks were gone, people were in pain financially when they could not, again, pay rent mortgages, take care of their children. The one thing I did notice, for example, Shaggy, was people who had food pantries. When they were able, for example, to go somewhere and, and you know get food for their children, get food for their families because of what was going on in the government shutdown, people are not making enough money to save. So when that one paycheck is gone, it could be damning to not only themselves, but if it's just you by yourself, okay, but if it's you and a family, it's going to be painful to how do you go from there when you're just literally working to pay bills. This is the thing that a lot of people don't understand because when 40% of the United States population is so financially stressed that one missed pay period could throw them into absolute poverty or send them homeless or out into the streets with no food, no support system for their kids. This is the thing that a lot of people don't understand. Chris, the other six people in that one to ten uh, number that you gave there, the other six people rely on those four people that could go into poverty for their financial stability as well. So this is the thing. When 40% of the population is so poor that one missed paycheck could send them spiraling into an economic hell, the upper middle class, the ones that have small businesses and things that rec uh, re rely on local community support, they are also in a very dangerous spot. And, and this is the thing. If that scale were to tip, just barely, okay, barely tip, and say five out of every ten Americans was one check away from having absolutely nothing. Chris, the economic um, consequences would be catastrophic, and much like climate change, it would reach a tipping point that we wouldn't be able to pull ourselves back from. Now, when we talk about all of these factors, 
and we talk about where we are in the United States, how do we fight this problem? Is it with financial education of the public, or is it about improving the entire economic atmosphere of the United States economy? Well, I was reading an article about millennials, and they were saying about millennials probably be the next generation of going to, into lots of entrepreneurship. That's one way, because that way you can control your dollars. Go back to what you said before about economic education, I think is very key. So that way you're able to create uh, a revenue stream for yourself and not rely on a job uh, that would can easily be taken away from you in any way, shape, or form. But that goes back to managing your money and managing a business. So that's going to take time. You shouldn't go into it willy-nilly. You shouldn't go into it with no experience. You need something, some sort of foundation. Again, education. Talk to other people who are successful, entrepreneurs, and then get a set plan before you begin. That's one way. Another way is to, you probably need multiple jobs if you can pull it off. I mean, I remember one time I was working three part-time jobs all in radio. And when I built, and I did do that, at least I had money to put away to my bank account for my family. So it all depends what, what kind of economic position you're in, strife or trying to get out of strife, because it's realistic, obviously, to go from being poor to middle class. Now, unless you get the lottery ticket one day, you just all of a sudden quit your job because you got uh, $57 million in your bank account now, that's, that's not going to happen. You have to be more realistic. So if you go from poor to middle class, Try to maintain what you can do to not get in the red. Again, that goes back to budgeting, education, and looking out for uh, yourself because you can easily be, as you said before in the conversation, go downward into a spiral because of a tipping in a situation where you might find yourself one check away from being outside you know, in the cold. Yeah, because, I mean, as long as we're talking about middle class in the United States, in San Francisco, if you want to consider yourself poor, your household income can be right below $125,000 a year. And for a lot of people, they're like, holy cow, that's a lot of money. You would not be wrong. But this is the thing. As long as we're talking about hourly uh, breakdowns, okay, money breakdowns, I'm going to give you a scary figure, and it comes from from here in Hawaii. If I was an individual who was single and I wanted to have a what is considered the standard living of an American, which is a two-bedroom, one-bath apartment or other living environment, if I wanted to have that in the state of Hawaii, Chris, my hourly income for 40 hours a week of work would have to exceed $37 per hour. And if you understand anything about the local economy, even island to island in the state of Hawaii, this is the thing. There's no jobs that pay $37 an hour here. So if you're telling me that my cost of living per hour requires that amount of money, yet no jobs in, no one job, I should say, in my state, not just in my island, not just in my county, my entire state, no job pays that high. Exactly where is the line for trying to make people understanding what kind of dire circumstances we actually are in? 
I think the shutdown obviously gives light to where we are as a nation of people. When you see and hear the horror stories of people just trying to make ends meet, you hear the adage about trying to rob Peter to pay Paul. That's true. Again, these adages we heard over the years, it's not just something witty to say or something funny. It's absolute truth. People need money. Let's start with the obvious here. So now the question becomes, how do I get said money for me to need? And once again, we just said earlier, that goes back to your individual financial plan. People have to understand that you have to sit down one day in front of your laptop, in front of your you know, device, and go over a plan for you to have a consistent revenue stream. It's not just getting a paycheck. It's what you do with that paycheck. Again, uh, you can, hell, coupons still good. You look at the newspapers or go online and find stuff on sale. Or, again, there's a way to do it. You just have to have the time and patience to do it. It just might surprise yourself and then find out how much money you save when you do these type of things. When you do your due diligence, you'd be surprised that the time invested is well worth it. Now, as long as we're talking about being surprised, Chris, this will probably surprise you. But if you go to Amazon.com and you look for me under my actual government name, you'll see that not too long ago, I wrote a book called Money Stuff that's all about educating people financially in ways of making maintainable lifestyles. Do you want to know something that I found out writing a financial book? What's that? Not a lot of people read financial books. I, you know, and I, I, the book is funny. I tell a lot of stories about how I was homeless and how I had to come up and understand credit cards and things like that. But the thing right. is, is that uh, for the most part, Chris, it almost seems that the money troubles in America are so bad that most Americans do this motion where they put their fingers in their ears and they kind of go, are we talking about monies and budgets? La, 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 la. I'll just wait till my, my next paycheck. Right. Um, that's sad. It, that's sad. It, it really is. But, I mean, as long as we're talking about sad news, because we we got two big stories that I want to cover before we get out here. The first sure. one has to do with, um, <laughs> okay, look, I'm going to be honest. I watched the show because of Cookie. <coughs> I really love me some Cookie. But <laughs> one of the young actors on the show Empire was recently attacked, Chris, and, and, and this is the thing. Before we talk about the show that he comes from, because, of course, we're going to talk a little bit about Empire. I love me some Empire. But <laughs> let's talk about this recent attack on one of its stars and what propagated that attack, Chris? Well, uh, as you know, the show Empire is filmed here in Chicago. And the actor you're referring to is Jesse Smollett, who is openly gay. And he, unfortunately, was attacked by two people. Uh, he left his uh, hotel, I was told, or his residence, uh, I was reading an article, 2 a.m. on a Tuesday, early Tuesday morning, was going to get uh, some Subway, going to get a sandwich, was attacked by these two uh, men. They both had on uh, Make America Great Again caps on. Uh, they called him out with a racial and homophobic slurs. They beat him. They put a noose around his neck and poured bleach on him. Uh, there's 911 dispatch call that confirmed that. A friend called about that. He went to Northwestern Memorial Hospital here in the city uh, where he still is uh, residing and everything seems to be okay. Um, 
first of all, I mean, living here all my life, it's embarrassing when these things happen. And it just being pro where you come from. And when you look at a singled out racially motivated and not just that homophobic motivated as well, because to call him out of his name, no particular situation. Plus the articles I was reading said, aren't you that in F word from, from empire? So he was singled out, obviously. What's sad also about this is that when you're here working and you're, you, you know, I would feel upset, not because only I got attacked, that's obvious, but should I continue to work here? It, yes, I know he would go on, but these things go through your mind. Now, also the fact that the other cast members of Empire also have round clock security after this. Also, we find out recently before we got on uh, the show here with your program that the surveillance cameras have come forward saying that they look for people of interest, that they found these people, and the detectives here in Chicago are going after them. So that is in forward momentum motion. We have to understand that hatred is real, racism is real, homophobia is real. And not just something you see on television or watch the news. People are getting either beaten to death or beaten close to death. Yeah, but this is the thing. Last year, me and you, especially on this show, we, we, we talked a lot about police brutality, and we talked a lot about an escalation of violence against minority communities. The only yeah. thing with this story is, and, and this is the sad, sad, sad fact of the reality of this whole situation, had Mr. Smollett not been a member of possibly one of the greatest shows ever, Empire, had he not been a member of that show, the fact that he is a gay black man means the chances of us talking about his story are highly, highly diminished. Now, Chris, this is the thing. When, when stories like this come across, it's not just an escalation of violence against a minority man. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an escalation of violence against a sexual orientation. And the, 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 the sad fact of the matter is, is these kind of attacks have been escalating Time and time again, steadily since 2017, something else we've reported on the show. But how often will we talk about these victims if they're not famous? It has to go across the board because it shines light on everybody else. So when you're high profile, you get uh, more you know, traction on social media. You get more traction on uh, cable news and other uh, news outlet, you get more attention. So in this sad situation, it will shine light on what's happening with him and other racist homophobic situations where it can shine light on the rest of everybody who's not famous like he is. What happens also is that people can relate who's been through this. People won't feel as alone. It's a horrific situation. It could end up in a different situation, but at the same time, People who have gone through this or are going through it currently look at him and say, you know what, because he's going through it, I don't feel as alone. It's people taking that perspective, too, if they like, because that could have been you just on GP getting beat up. That could have been your son. That could have been your nephew, could have been your cousin, your friend. It shouldn't matter. But these idiot racist people, it matters to them because anybody different 
from their white skin, from their racist perspective, they got to go. That's the thing, though. America was founded under the principles of diversity because, well, first off, we took all the land from the brown people. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, Look at your history books, kids. I'm not lying here. Uncle Shaggy's right. Okay, so first off, a bunch of crackers moved in and took the land from the brown people. Then we decided to bring some black folks in because, once again, crackers were too lazy to do their own work. And after all of this fighting and stuff with the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, the 1812 War, and eh, why not? We'll throw in America versus the Philippines. We actually came to this consensus back in the 60s that after the Civil Rights Movement, everybody should kind of start to kind of get along along and work towards getting along. Here yeah. lately, though, Chris, it seems like more and more people are working at tearing us as a, society, uh, as a society apart. When you have two gentlemen, pieces of walking amoeba, single-cell organisms are probably more intelligent, wearing MAGA hats, I'm trying to be diplomatic here, but a part of my soul is hurting. Um, yeah. Please bear with me. But these two these two guys behind this assault, now that the security footage has started to be released and cops are definitely going after persons of interest, will it stop the next dumb cracker with the MAGA hat from doing the same thing? No, of course not. In fact, it will get worse. And the reason why I say that, because let's go back to Separator-in-Chief when the Charlottesville, Virginia tragedy happened. We go back to the now infamous words, it was wrong on both sides. No, Mr. President, it was wrong on one side. When you say things like that, it's coded material for those type of people, those racist people who say, you know what? Well, he just said it was okay. He didn't blame us. He said it was okay. So again, you're getting mixed signals. I knew exactly what he was saying when he said it. He pretty much said, you know, I'm going to give them a free pass because Going back to the whole thing about white supremacy and white nationalism, it all falls under that type of banner. But again, he should have, in a, in a more understandable universe, understandable world, signaled those racist people out and denounced them. He did not. So that's why when you see people, unfortunately, wearing the MAGA cast, uh, it's associated with racism because of what he said and how he comports himself as a so-called president. Yeah, because look, I'm not. This is not a joke or exaggeration. Over here in Hawaii, every time that there's a gay couple that moves into our neighborhood, I am so happy because it means our real estate values are going to stay pretty much good. Um, but that's right. Gay people, and I, I, I don't say this as a supporter of the, of them or their lifestyle, but hey, why the hell not? I'm just going to throw my opinion out there. Gay people make everything awesome. So. With that kind of being the logic that, that, that we've learned through kind of a whole awakening that's been coming since the Stonewall Inn riots of the 1970s, um, this is the thing. Chris, with all of the stuff that we've come forward as a country in accepting, why is now there this wave of intolerance coming back? Because you've always had people undercurrently who are racist. It wasn't popular to come forward and say, oh, back in the good old days, calling somebody boy, don't give me eye contact, calling people out their names, calling them the N-word. It was fashionable, quote unquote, for that type of society to happen. Now that we've seen changes throughout the years going into where we are right now, we should be more a progressive 
understanding society. But you and I both know, and others know, that racism is a taught and learned behavior pattern. Again, when you have someone like the so-called president who's saying these things to give them validity, to give them an opportunity to go forward and do their thing, because of the fact that people need validation, professional or personal, and when you give those people, especially validation, there's no stopping them. They didn't need validation, but this just gives them an extra feather in their cap to say, you know what? If the president says it was okay for that to happen in Charlottesville, Virginia, or anything else, then I keep on going. I keep on doing it because I got his stamp of approval. Yeah, and this is the thing. I mean, this country is not, and, and we've got one more story that we've got to cover here. This country is not, by and large, getting any smarter. And to that... We're going to leave the story of the Chicago attacks and instead go to St. Louis, where let's just go ahead and say best practices among police officers, this were not. What can you tell us the de uh, about the death of Officer Caitlin Alex? Uh, as we know to this point right now, it was her and two other officers that were just playing around with a revolver, taking all the bullets out, leaving one in the chamber, and taking the gun back and forth, you know, pretending to shoot somebody. And then it was Caitlin, the one who got shot, taken to the emergency room in, you know, the hospital, unfortunately died. Now, because it was the stories didn't add up, uh, the, the toxicology and blood came back too quickly. Uh, now they're saying it could be foul play. There are probably alcohol involved, drugs involved. And I and once again we'll get more to that as progress as the progressive investigator goes. But why would you play with a revolver in the first place? Being a police officer, and the third the, it was two it was three people involved. One of the officers said he tried to tell both of them you shouldn't play with the gun and left. When he left and heard the fire go off, he went back into the apartment or building, and then that's when he found the officer laying there. What's sad about this story? is that these are so-called trained professionals who have firearms. They went to the academy to learn all these type of things, yet you want to take time to play a game? It wasn't a Russian roulette. You just take the gun and point it at the person. Yeah, and that's just it. Russian roulette is a game that a long time ago, let's just go ahead and be honest here, was invented as an urban legend to kind of scare Americans of how creepy Russians were. But some people were dumb enough to kind of say, oh, a suicide game that everybody plays is a real thing. Some people were not smart enough to make the logical leap of that was probably just some old BS that we made up to scare people about Russians. They took it right. serious. And here's the thing. St. Louis, Chris... St. Louis has never had a good reputation when it comes to the cops behaving in a smart manner that elicits best practices, have they? No, no, they haven't. And, you know, it, it, it keeps getting curiouser and curiouser. The officer that's now charged is Officer Nathaniel Hedren. I, I don't understand, again, when you, when you look at officers who have to be responsible, who are there to serve and protect, and I, I guess I think it was um, uh, one of the officers, it was her that she was uh, not uh, working and other people on duty or two were on duty during this time. Still, 
why are you playing with a handgun when that's your job to serve and protect, not to play? Hey, you take my gun, pretend to shoot me, I'm going to shoot you back. Yeah, well, that's where we've got to leave the show today. Please don't shoot any blanks at anyone today. Until next time, everybody, stay safe. Love you, mean it. Kate and bye. We are out. <laughs>